In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa Respected sisters, dear brothers and viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our life, the Islamic answer. In this series where, where we are trying to study the original scriptures and sources of our religion. To try to extract from them the principles through which we can live our lives. In the first theme of this series, we are exploring the Islamic teachings with regards to knowledge, reason, rationality, the intellect in general. And so we began the series by highlighting the importance that our religion gives to knowledge and rationality. And we also saw by opposition how Islam treats and addresses the lack of knowledge and the lack of rationality which is referred to as jahl and which translates as both a lack of knowledge, ignorance, as well as a lack of wisdom, which is which is foolishness. And so we said jahl translates as ignorance and foolishness. Since jahl is therefore not an option in Islam, we have to come back to knowledge and see what does it mean. What does it mean for us to give importance to knowledge? We said that there are two conditions that we have to understand in Islam with regards to knowledge. The first one is that it has to be acquired and used with sincerity, with sincere intentions. And the highest level of this sincerity is called ikhlas, that you do things truly to please God, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to act in this world as he wants you to act. And this includes knowledge, knowledge seeking and the use of knowledge. So we spent a little bit of time understanding what Islam says specifically about knowledge and ikhlas and ikhlas in general. What does it mean? Because we need that notion in general in our religion. The second condition that has to be met for knowledge to be Islamic is that it has to lead to action. For knowledge to lead to action, it must start by changing us internally from within. And so we call this transformational knowledge. It's knowledge that you acquire that starts impacting your heart, your soul, and this shows in your conduct, in the manner in which you conduct yourself, you behave in this world, your actions. These are the two conditions that if they are met, then we consider the knowledge to be Islamic. First, that it is acquired and used with sincere intentions. And secondly, that it must lead to action. And we spent enough time on both of these notions. So inshallah, they are well understood. Now that we understand this, we want to move to the more practical steps that we have to take. What do those look like? The first step in this journey must therefore be 
that we become seekers of knowledge. We seek, we acquire the knowledge that Islam says is so important to have. And so we spent a good amount of time studying the uh, references, the teachings of our religion with regards to what it says about being a learner, being a good learner, an effective learner in Islam. And we saw that what is what our religion says about this topic of being a learner, first of all, applies to learning religious sciences. Secondly, it applies to all types of learning and the importance and the ingredients and the manners and the, the things, the factors that lead to being a, an effective and a good learner. And it also talks about all sorts of factors and causes and themes and topics that in fact make us much more effective, much more highly performing and successful human beings in general, even outside the domain, even outside the realm of learning. In general, those were teachings that touch every aspect of our lives. And so we even, towards the end of that discussion about the learner in Islam, we went to look at what has been written in the West about a lot of these topics. The importance of managing our time, the importance of priorities, the importance of focus, the importance of what we put in our bodies and how it may affect the way we think, our ability to think and to focus and our mood and so on and so forth. We talked about all of those ingredients and we saw what our religion says about them. And we also saw that in today's scholarship and in today's uh, very high-performing uh, uh, areas and sectors and fields such as business, for instance, such as the corporate world, this is exactly what they teach people who want to be high performers, whether it's in the corporate world or it's in the business world and in general in our personal lives. And so we saw that 14 centuries ago, if you go back to our Islamic teachings, all of those teachings were already there. And in fact, we think that they are superior because not only do they talk about all of those uh, topics and all of those themes and factors, but they talk about them in a way that is much more holistic, that is going to lead to success not only in one or two or three dimensions in your life, but to all the dimensions in your life, including the spiritual one, and everything is coherent and everything is aligned, and it would make you happy in this world and the next. So this was the discussion that we had about the importance of being a learner in our religion, and even the uh, manners of learning, the merits, uh, in other words, your rank, your importance, your value, your worth as a learner in our religion and before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world and the next. So inshallah, all of that was well understood and clear. And uh, this is, with that, we wrapped up the topic of being a learner and we moved to the topic of becoming a teacher. And there's a few things that we mentioned here. The first one is that being a teacher or being a scholar, and we're talking about both, the scholar being the person who carries the knowledge, being that person is somewhere on the continuum. If you are a learner, you therefore have a certain amount of knowledge, which means that you now have a duty to share that knowledge. And so we began talking about the first 
team, the first topic that we had with regards to the teacher is who is the teacher in the absolute sense? Who is the scholar in the absolute sense in Islam? And in short, we said that it is only the infallible. It is only the person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the teacher, this is your guide as a human being, this is the true, in the true sense, this is the only scholar and teacher that you're supposed to follow. Everyone else, when they are a scholar, when they are a teacher, they are only a scholar and a teacher to the extent that what they teach matches what the divine guide is teaching and what the divine guide is explaining and presenting to human beings. So to the extent that what a scholar is saying matches what Ahl al-Bayt say, for instance, they are considered a scholar. They are considered a teacher. Okay, so that was a first discussion that we had. Then we started talking about some of the headings under the, the general topic of the teacher. One of the headings is the importance of choosing the right teacher. The moment you choose someone, whether this is intentionally or even without noticing that you, you are now in a situation where you're taking information from someone, you are opening your mind, you're opening your soul, you're opening your heart to what this person is presenting. So you have to be very careful. What is this person saying? What does it ultimately lead to? What type of human being do you become by allowing this type of information to impact you, to affect you? Is this the type of values and the type of information that you want to let in and you want to be influenced by or not? And you have to think about this not just in the setting where you are a learner and there's a teacher teaching you. You have to think about this in every aspect in your life, about any type of information coming in from a movie, from a book, from social media. You are opening your mind to the type of content that is coming in. It is affecting you, whether you see it and feel it right away or not, it is having an impact on you. So is this the type of information and the type of values and the type of worldview that you want to bring in and be influenced by? Or do you want to be a lot more careful with what you bring in? So inshallah, that topic was well understood. And then we started discussing two topics at the same time. Because we said there's no point splitting these up. No matter how we look at them, we're going to have to repeat the same information in both. What we want to really do now is identify, is list what are the characteristics to look for for someone to become a scholar or a teacher. For me to choose this person as a scholar or a teacher, what are the characteristics am I, that I'm going to be looking for? This is the same topic. This is one way to ask the question. This is the same topic as asking another question, which is what are the duties of the scholar? What are the duties, the responsibilities of the teacher? We want to choose the person who is fulfilling those duties to the best of their ability and in the best way, in a way that aligns with the Islamic teachings. Okay, and so that's why we said we're not going to repeat this whole topic again by splitting it in two and saying we're going to discuss the characteristics of the teacher and then separately we're going to discuss the characteristics of the, the duties and the responsibilities of the scholar and the teacher. Those two are in fact one depending on which angle you're looking at them from. So until now, some of the 
characteristics that we started to explore, and you'll remember we spent a lot of time on uh, Sermon 87 from Nahj al-Balagha, and the saying number 147 from Nahj al-Balagha, where Imam Ali salam was talking to Kumail, explaining the types of people based on knowledge, based on whether they are true scholars or not. And inshallah, today we're going to see more examples of this. And uh, in the other sermon where Imam Ali salam was talking about how there are people who have piety and they share knowledge and they guide others as opposed to those who claim to be falsely, claim to be scholars, but in fact it only leads to more people going astray and being misguided. Okay, so based on those and a few other uh, narrations that we looked at, we saw that the desirable characteristics until now, we wrap them up so that we can build on them today. First of all, we're looking for someone who has spiritual discipline. So I'm not going to repeat all the details. You'll remember the, from the headings, inshallah. Secondly, it has to be someone who has an ability to guide others. Right? So today, inshallah, we're going to build more on that. Someone who has an ability, a capacity to guide others. So this had a few different meanings, and today, inshallah, we're going to add to those. It has to be someone who stabilizes our faith, who makes our faith solid, who makes our faith anchored and stronger than it was before. Not someone who only leads by their teaching, by, by their lecturing, whatever it is, by their writing. It's not someone who leads to more doubts, makes you question your religion, makes you question your faith. It has to be someone who makes your faith more stable and makes your faith stronger than it was before. It has to be someone who leads by action. It cannot be someone who only has an ability to say the right things. It, can, it has to show in the manner in which they live. One of their main preoccupations, one of their main concerns in life has to be what happens after they die. And this is something that came up again and again in the descriptions, and we're going to see this come back later in the series too as part of the descriptions. We said also that one of the important things for this person when we choose them as a scholar, as a teacher, is what is their source of knowledge? And we said ultimately for us, when it comes to those things that we're learning from others, which affect our spiritual salvation, which affect what it means for us to have an eternal life, an afterlife, we want to make sure that this person begins, the main source for this person is the Holy Quran and Ahl al-Bayt. And everything else is secondary to that. It can't be another source of information, another source of knowledge to which they may add a little bit of Quran, a little bit of teachings from Ahl al-Bayt. This is especially the case for the things that we said, affect our spiritual salvation, right? We said it's okay if you're learning physics or chemistry or math or world history from someone and they are not bringing the religious or spiritual dimension to it and there is no one who is doing a better job that with whom you align with at the level of worldview and at the level of your spirituality, that's fine. Okay, but if there is an alternative, go for the alternative. Go for the person with whom you align spiritually and at the level of your worldview. If there isn't, 
then be open to accepting the truth and accepting the information and the knowledge wherever you may find it. The last of the characteristics that we looked at was what we called amana. We saw a few ahadith, three or four ahadith, that were saying that al-ulama umana or al-ulama umana ur-rusul. And we explained, and we saw we did not even have to explain it. There were other ahadith from the Holy Prophet that were clearly stating that the alim, the person who carries knowledge, and this knowledge is coming from the prophets and is coming from the imams, there is a condition or a number of conditions that they have to meet to be truly amin, to be considered someone who is actually a good custodian of that knowledge, a good guardian over that knowledge. They know how to take care of that knowledge. So inshallah you'll remember the conditions. One of them is that they act on based on the knowledge they have. And the second one was that they do not enter into this world. The Holy Prophet was saying, and when he was asked what does it mean, he said they do not become enslaved or followers of the rulers. That they act based on their knowledge. They don't just serve the ruler, whatever the ruler needs, they give them, and then people think that this is actually true knowledge. This is the knowledge they inherited from the messengers and from Ahlul Bayt Okay, so this is what we covered until now. And of course, on the opposite side, we can say, therefore, that we have to avoid the scholar, and this was important, and we saw a lot of hadith about this, even though the person may have a lot of knowledge. If the person lacks spiritual discipline, they lack spirituality, then this is someone to be avoided. If what they do in their actions contradicts what they say, or they do not act based on their knowledge, to be avoided. If they seem to be using religion as a tool for gain in this world, then to be avoided. If they lack depth, and you'll remember the explanation of Imam Ali السلام, when he was talking to Kumail, he told him, there are those, there is one of them who is a good memorizer, and he has a, an amazing ability to talk, except that he wants to use religion as a tool, that's one, and the other one who is a good person, they want to follow the people of the truth, but they do not have any wisdom or any good judgment within their heart. This is someone who lacks depth. They take things very superficially, so they're very easily tricked. And then they have, they very easily fall into doubt, Imam Ali salam was saying. Right? This is the opposite of what we need. What we need is someone who, who has conviction, who has certainty, and who therefore makes our certainty and makes our faith stronger and better than it was before. Not someone who himself is full of doubts and then they are spreading their doubts to the others. Then we said, of course, there is also the person who has the low level of self-restraint, low level of discipline, and the person who is excessively interested in material gains. And we added one point, and we saw it in some of the ahadith, and today, inshallah, we're going to see more ahadith about this. The person who does not have the competence, they don't know how to communicate properly as a teacher. We talked also about this, and it was mentioned in some of the ruwayat. And today, inshallah, we're going to build a little bit on this. So based on all of this, now we're building on it. 
the next characteristic. We're looking from the scholar and we're looking from the teacher for someone who has a balanced approach between generating fear from God and generating hope in God. It can't be someone who only makes you think of the eternal, infinite, mercy, compassion, forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without also reminding you of the wrath and the punishment and the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this means that it is almost becoming an invitation, it is almost becoming an encouragement for people to take sins very lightly. Because you keep being told that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive everything. It's okay, go ahead. And we're going to see some examples of this today. And on the other side, there are those who only talk about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is full of anger and punishment and there's hellfire awaiting us and every interaction that God has with us human beings is going to be from the angle of punishment and wrath and anger. That's also not an acceptable teaching. This is the opposite of what our religion says. So we're looking for the scholar, we're looking for the teacher who is able to generate both, to find the right balance, to strike the right balance between generating fear and making you someone who constantly rethinks that if I do this, then this is going to anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this should scare me. I should be afraid of sinning. I should be afraid of disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has to be someone who leads your thinking in that direction. While at the same time, you continue to have hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be forgiving and merciful and compassionate so that whatever you have done, whenever there are shortcomings, wherever there are sins, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be forgiving. In the first hadith, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, Al-alimu kullu al-alim man lam yamna'ar raja' li rahmatillah wa lam yu'minhum makrallah. So he says, the scholar, the true scholar, is the one who does not prevent people from having hope in God's mercy. When you say, my, my sins are too great, they're too big, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forgive all of these sins. You, you're despairing. You stop having mercy. You stop having hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need someone to bring you back. To remind you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is greater than those sins. If you are sincere, you're really asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, repenting, asking for his forgiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive and on the other side, Imam Ali salam says, and at the same time, the scholar, the true scholar, the Imam says, the one who does not make them feel safe from God's punishment. At no point should you feel like, that's it, you're safe, secure, you have a guarantee that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to punish you. Even if you have asked for forgiveness. Right? And so this is someone who has an ability to Find the balance between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy. Another hadith in the same vein, 
But Imam Ali السلام, is going to add one more layer or one more criteria, but it's the same idea. He says, Will I not, let me not, do you not want me to tell you about the scholar, the true scholar? The rest is the same, but this one is an addition. He says, the one who does not beautify the disobedience of God to the servants of God. He does not make a sin look good or seem like something that is just okay to do. There's something of a beautification. He decorates it. He makes it more beautiful than it really looks. And then it makes you more daring to perform the sin. And this is, by the way, something that can very easily be something in which a scholar falls into. This is repeated a lot in the sayings of our imams. Those people who make a sin appear nice and beautiful. And by the way, if you go back through all of the verses of the Holy Quran that have to do with Iblis, with the devil, you see that this is the main task of the devil. He cannot do anything else except this. His trickery, his deceit, his superpower, if there is one, is that he is able to take something that you know to be wrong and he beautifies it. He shows it to you in a way that suddenly makes it look good, makes it look beneficial, makes it look like this is something that is good for you to do. And of course, in a lot of cases, while you're doing it or as soon as you're done doing it, you regret doing it because you know that that's not the case. But it means he won. His only power is that he will come to you, he will whisper in your heart and try to take something that you consider to be ugly and he presents it to you as something that is beautiful, something that is nice, good. If you accept it, that's it, you got tricked. If he repeats it enough, then you stop considering it ugly. You become desensitized to the ugliness. It won't affect you anymore because you've done it a lot. So you have to be extra careful. If it's a first time, a second time, a third time, no, the ugliness is still there, very clear to you. Okay, so here Imam Ali salam is describing the actions of some scholars in the same way. That they will take something ugly and they will present it to you as something beautiful. So the Imam says, مَنْ لَمْ يُزَيِّنْ لِعِبَادِ اللَّهِ الله. This is a sin, this is a disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This scholar has an ability to present it as something beautiful. Why? There's a lot of reasons why. Sometimes the scholar himself or herself is someone who has this problem. They're dealing with it. And they may know and they may not know. So of course if they're doing it, they might present it as something good. That's one issue. Another issue, it makes you a lot more popular. There are a lot of people who are trying to find that loophole, trying to find that one person who will say, everybody else is saying, this is wrong, you can't do that, don't do this, our religion does not accept it. If you become the one who says, I have a way, you can do it. Then that's it, you're popular, you're good. 
It doesn't mean that that's the reason why it is done. But when it is done, that could be one reason. Okay, we're, we're going into the psychology of it here. There, there's a number of other reasons. Anyways, وَلَمْ يُؤَمِّنْهُمْ مَكْرَ اللَّهِ وَلَمْ يُؤَيِّسْهُمْ مِنْ رَوْحِهِ So Al-Alam is the one who does not beautify the disobedience of God, who does not make them feel safe from the punishment of God, and who does not make them despair. وَلَمْ يُؤَيِّسْهُمْ مِنْ رَوْحِهِ To have hope in the mercy of God. That's rawh. He does not make them despair. He doesn't get you to the point where you say, my sins are too great, God will never forgive. Because there are scholars who do this. And inshallah we're going to talk about that, I don't know, maybe today or next time we, we, uh, we meet. And there's another hadith from Imam al-Baqir salam, but it's a little bit longer, I'm going to keep it until the very end when we talk about the teacher, because there are other parts of it that are relevant. So that's another heading that inshallah is clear. That's definitely one of the characteristics we're looking for in the teacher and the scholar. Someone who is able to strike the right balance between hoping for God's mercy and compassion and forgiveness while at the same time reminding us of God's punishment and wrath and anger. Okay? The next characteristic is that is one that we started to talk about and we want to expand on it. We called it the ability to guide. We want someone who has a capacity, an ability to guide other people. Okay, and this can have a lot of different meanings. We want to focus now, beyond what we already covered, we want to focus on the relationship this person has with knowledge. The relationship of the scholar or the relationship of the teacher with knowledge. This goes a very long way in making them the type of scholar we need or the type of teacher that we need. Okay, so we're going to see the examples. The first one from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-alimu ya'rifu al-jahil li'annahu kana qablu jahila. الجاهل لا يعرف العالم لأنه لم يكن قبل عالما. So he says the scholar or the one with knowledge he recognizes or he knows let's say he recognizes the one who lacks knowledge because he was once without knowledge. So when he sees someone he's able to recognize this is someone like I was before gaining this knowledge. And the one without knowledge does not recognize or does not know the one with knowledge because he never had the knowledge. He never was a scholar. Okay, so here there's, as I said, the way I read it, there's more than one interpretation. One of them is that you're able to recognize the person. The other interpretation is that you know the person. You know how they're feeling, you know how they think, you know what they need. And so you are able to present the information as they need it. Three points that I want to take out from this hadith. The first one is that it is therefore important 
to choose the scholar and to choose the teacher who has actually gone through the process of learning. Not randomly. It's not someone who learned because they were interested as a hobby. They learned it on the side. You want someone who has gone through the whole process in a systematic way. That person is able to help you much more because when they see you, they recognize where you are on that path. Their knowledge was acquired in a systematic way, in an orderly way, with steps and subsequent steps. He's able to recognize where you are on that path and help you right away. Very different from someone who randomly acquired information here and there, who may not even know themselves where they are in that whole journey of knowledge in any given field. Okay, so that's point number one. If you are serious about knowledge seeking, then find those who have learned the knowledge in a systematic way. There's a second point here that the Imam is perhaps indirectly alluding to, which is the importance of the experience. Perhaps it is better for you as a learner to find a scholar, to find a teacher who has a similar experience to yours. They are able to recognize you better and they're able to help you better. Okay, so I just leave that at the general level. The third point, and so this one is, you know, we can keep it for discussion or indirectly related to all of this. Of course, this applies to different fields in, in a very different way. No one knows everything about everything. When the imam says that someone is knowledgeable in a field, that field may be religious or non-religious. And even within religion, there is a lot of fields. Okay, so generally speaking, there is a recognition in that field of exactly where that person is. If this is someone who is very competent, very masterful, and they've learned their knowledge in the right way, they're able to assess the other person, the learner, or anyone else where they are on that path. That's one. Two, once you have mastered the process of acquiring knowledge, then this is something that you can actually recognize in yourself and in others. So while I may not be an expert in every field, I generally have a good understanding of what it means to acquire knowledge and to be somewhere on that journey. If you have no knowledge at all, you've never actually gone through in a very serious way all the way to the end in acquiring knowledge, then you remain completely ignorant of that whole process. So one way to understand this is within the field itself, at the technical level, at the content level, you want someone to be able to help you. Secondly, generally speaking, the process of acquiring knowledge gives you the general pattern. What does it mean to acquire knowledge? How do you recognize that someone has knowledge or not? This is basically transferable from one area to another. Knowledge is knowledge. Okay, two. Anyways, so I think with that, I, I leave it as a, as a point. This is for further discussion if we wanted to and there's interest in that. 
the third point <clears throat> or the next hadith yeah let's go to the next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam this is to emphasize what we were talking about earlier in the past few weeks your ability to guide here the imam is very clear he says the most knowledgeable of people are the ones who doubt does not dislodge their certainty doubt does not dislodge their conviction these are the most knowledgeable people, Imam Ali says. And there's also a lot we can take out from this. I think very clearly the Imam is saying, us normal people, we are all going to be experiencing doubt. Everyone experiences doubt. It's what do you allow this doubt to do to your faith? What do you allow this doubt to do to your conviction? And here the key is conviction. It means that you have reached a point where you have 100% certainty about something. When that doubt comes, what do you do with it? There are people who let that doubt erode their certainty. That thing which to them should be certain is no longer certain. The doubt starts working in it, eroding it. If you haven't reached the conviction and the certainty in the first place, then this does not apply. It means you had more knowledge and more thinking to do to reach your conviction. And then, of course, every time you're going to be exposed to a doubt, that doubt is going to have the effect it has. And that's why you have to keep working on the things that should be part of your conviction. They should be part of your certainty. But if you are certain of it, you shouldn't let the doubt come and shake it. Right? So Imam Ali says, this is the most knowledgeable of people. It's not the amount of knowledge you have. The most knowledgeable is not the one with the most knowledge. It's the one with the most certainty and the one who is the most unshakable when they are faced with doubts. That's the most knowledgeable. And so therefore, we're putting this in this category, therefore this person is sure himself and herself and therefore they are able to guide others. If you are yourself full of doubts, don't put your... Self in a situation where you have to guide others, to help others. Go fix yourself first. Go deal with your doubts first. Okay? The next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ عَذَابًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ رَجُلٌ قَتَلَ نَبِيًّا أَوْ قَتَلَهُ نَبِيًّ أَوْ رَجُلٌ يُضِلُّ النَّاسِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ And the hadith continues, by the way, but this is the part we want. From the beginning. So the Holy Prophet says, the worst people in punishment on the day of resurrection in the afterlife is going to be a man who killed a prophet, that one should be clear, or who was killed by a prophet. So that one may be a little bit less clear. Why? Because if a prophet is killing someone, a prophet is infallible. A prophet is sent to humanity as a mercy. There is no way that a prophet is going to kill someone unless this is the absolute only way to deal with that person. What kind of corruption, what kind of injustice, what kind of negative force is that human being that a prophet has to kill them? So the Holy Prophet says, those two, the one who kills a prophet 
and the one who is killed by a prophet, those are some of the people who will have the worst punishment in the afterlife. And what else? So these are crimes that I think we can all say very safely. They are some of the worst crimes we could think of. Right? Someone who is at war with a prophet, someone who is being killed by a prophet or killing a prophet. And the Holy Prophet says, Or a man who misguides people without knowledge. The Holy Prophet just put this person in the same category as people who kill prophets or who are killed by prophets. So here there's a few interpretations we can give to this line. This is someone whose sayings, whose actions are leading to are leading to misguidance. In one case, we can say, we can interpret this as meaning this is done intentionally, and in one case, we would say that this is done unintentionally. The closer meaning that comes to mind is we would say this is done unintentionally. This is a man who leads people astray, who leads people to misguidance without knowing that this is what they're doing. This man himself does not know that he is leading people towards misguidance. Okay, So he lacks the knowledge. This is the double ignorance. You yourself lack the knowledge. You don't understand what those things that you are saying, what they lead to. The other way to understand this hadith is to say that this is someone who is misguiding people, who is leading people astray. How? By giving them things that are not knowledge. So in one, in one case, we would say he does not have knowledge himself, so he leads people astray without even knowing. And in the other case, what he is giving to people is not knowledge, so they are being led astray. These are two different interpretations of this. But here we see the importance once again. You choose the right teacher, you choose the right scholar, and the Holy Prophet is putting this person who leads people astray without even knowing, unknowingly, unintentionally, he's putting them with the people who are killing prophets or being killed by prophets. In the next hadith from the Holy Prophet these are two hadith that go together. In the first one, the Holy Prophet says, مَنْ قَالَ عَالِمٌ فَهُوَ جَاهِلٌ Remember the theme of the relationship of this person with knowledge. The Holy Prophet here says, the one who says, I am knowledgeable, he is or she is ignorant. They lack knowledge. Imam Ali السلام, has a saying that explains this. Because we might say, does it mean this is in the absolute? No one can say I have any knowledge. Imam Ali السلام, says, من ادعى من العلم غايته. فقد أظهر من جهله نهايته. The one who claims to know the entirety of knowledge, and today we would definitely add in any given field, the one who claims to know everything about a given field, the only thing they're doing is what? Is they are revealing the completeness of their ignorance. 
The only thing you do by claiming to know everything about a topic, you don't need any more knowledge. The only thing you're revealing is your own ignorance. This is why we said, what's the relationship of this scholar? What's the relationship of this teacher with knowledge? Is it someone who is humble towards knowledge? Humble towards learning? And sometimes we might use this terminology of humility, of modesty, only in the akhlaqi sense. In himself, in herself, this is someone who has humility, modesty. They're not arrogant towards other people. That's beautiful and that's nice and we definitely need that and we're going to see a lot of that in the characteristics of the scholar and the teacher. But here we're talking about a different kind of humility and modesty. There's a humility and modesty specifically in knowledge. This is not about how you deal with people and how you are with people in general. This is with regards to knowledge. How much knowledge do you actually think you have? Are you always looking for more knowledge because you feel like there is a lot more to be learned? Or are you self-sufficient and self-reliant? This is arrogance in knowledge. Different than someone who simply has arrogance in general in life. Okay? So, the next hadith from Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam. We have a longer hadith. I only take this part from it. He says, وَمِنْ دَلَائِلِ الْعَالِمِ So we're continuing with the characteristics of the, the teacher. وَمِنْ دَلَائِلِ الْعَالِمِ انْتِقَادُهُ لِحَدِيثِهِ وَعِلْمُهُ بِحَقَائِقِ فُنُونِ النَّظَرِ some of the signs, among the signs of the scholar, the true scholar, is that this is someone who is critical of his own speech. Okay? So not only is this person open to criticism, open to learning, open to advice from others, he also criticizes his own speech. He sees the defects in his own speech, in what he says. This is humility. This is modesty, especially if this person is a scholar, especially if this person has knowledge. That's one. The second characteristic, وَعِلْمُهُ بِحَقَائِقِ فُنُونِ النَّظَرِ This is more material. This is the competence of the person in what? What are funun al-nadhar? The Imam says the, the arts of thinking, the arts of reflection. This person has knowledge of the true arts of thinking and reflection. Today, to put a much more technical term on it, we would say someone who has studied and who understands logic and sophistry and an ability to communicate and recognize when an argument is right and an argument is wrong. Right? They teach you this first year university. They teach it all wrong and people don't understand what they're teaching. They call it critical thinking. And no one understands what they're really learning. We call it mantaq. Right? They teach you a lot of this. But this goes way beyond when Imam Hussain is talking about this. There's also a psychological aspect to this. You have an ability, you know how people think, and how thinking can be distorted or manipulated, changed, affected in a different way. Okay? So this is a very different way of understanding the role of the teacher, right? The imam is talking about something that is much more material, much more worldly. 
It should be someone who knows, who recognizes mistakes in speech and arguments, how arguments are built, how they are presented, how things are communicated. The next hadith. So we continue here. The relationship between this person and knowledge. Here start noticing that this is someone that our imams say has to have a deeper insight. The quality of their thinking and the quality of their knowledge is superior. It's not at face value. It's not superficial. First hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-alim alladhi la yamal min ta'allum al-ilm. First, so the scholar is the one who never tires from acquiring or learning, to be literal, or learning knowledge. Someone who does not tire from learning knowledge. And this is not easy, by the way. Anyone who has spent a bit of time learning, learning is not easy. Someone who never tires is someone special. Everyone gets tired of something at some point. The imam says, the scholar, the true scholar, is someone who never tires from learning knowledge. What else? In another hadith, he says, So the scholar is the one who, whose hunger for knowledge never stops and who never gets full of it. These are two different things. It's a beautiful expression that the imam uses. The metaphor here is about someone eating, right? You can imagine someone. On the one side, you may desire food because you're hungry. So the imam says, the scholar is the one who, whose hunger for knowledge never stops. Okay? You'll remember the hadith from the imam to Kumail two weeks ago. The second part. The imam here says, and who never gets full of it. When you eat, how much can you eat? You can eat one plate, two plates, three plates, and then you're full. You can't eat anymore. Imam Ali salam says, the true scholar, you can keep putting more and more. Right? You can keep putting more. You remember? These hearts are containers. And the best of them are the ones that are the best at preserving the best preservation and the most preservation. In any case. And here, this is a, a very important quality. When the imam is saying this, you can imagine the person you're choosing as your source of knowledge. Why is it important that this person has this type of relationship with knowledge? Because knowledge is something that usually will bore people and will tire people at some point. When you find that person who never tires, who always wants more, honestly, sincerely wants more knowledge all the time, they have that humility, that modesty, they never feel like they have enough, they're self-reliant and self-sufficient, they're constantly learning, this is something that's going to affect you. It's going to affect how you view knowledge too. And they will have a fire, a passion that's contagious, that will affect you. As opposed to going to someone that you feel, you know, this person is done learning. There's no more learning going on. They feel like they're done. And so this is what you're going to aspire to. You feel like it, 
Knowledge is something very limited. You can gain a little bit of it, and this is all there is to gain in that respect. Just like your really good teacher or the really good scholar that you follow did and taught and behaved, right? So this is very important psychologically when, when choosing that scholar or that teacher. In Sermon 103, I'm not reading the whole sermon, we're keeping it short. In Sermon 103, Imam Ali Nahj al-Balagha, he's contrasting the true scholar with the false scholar. You can go back and read it. At some point he says, العالم من عرف قدره وكفى بالمرء جهلا لا يعرف قدره The scholar, the true scholar, is the one who knows their worth, his worth. And it suffices the human being in ignorance that they ignore their worth, that they don't know what their worth is. So here there is a lot of commentary. At least three big interpretations of this passage. When the Imam Ali السلام, he says that the scholar is the person who knows his worth. What does that mean? So one component to this is a little bit more philosophical, mystical, theological. It's simply that as a creature in this world, you are absolutely insignificant. That's your true worth. The more you understand this worth, which is insignificance before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more of a scholar you are. And that's why the Imam says, and by opposition, whoever ignores their worth, whoever is not aware of this worth, that's all the ignorance that they need. There's no more ignorance required. That's all the ignorance you can handle as a human being. There are a lot of commentators here who have added a second interpretation. They have said that this has to do with our social status. That as a scholar, you have to be someone who does not fall in one extreme or the other. So there's a social class, socio-economic discussion here that you should know what your rank is. So don't act in a way that is arrogant and don't act in a way that is degrading. Maintain a balance by knowing what your worth is. There's, there's another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, Rahimallahu man arifa qadrah wa lam yatajawaz haddah. Okay, and it's also interpreted in this way, in this socio-economic way when we live in society. That's a second interpretation. There's a third interpretation here. This one has to do more with our worth as a human being. The Imam is referring the qadr is what some commentators have said. As a human being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored you. As a creature, in the first interpretation, you are insignificant. But as a human being, you have been honored. You have been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You've been given a soul. You've been given rationality. You can elevate your status to that of the angels or higher. Know your worth and act accordingly. Right? So the Imam here is referring perhaps to one of these different interpretations. Okay? But we go back to the point here. The Imam was giving us a criteria, a characteristic to recognize the scholar or the teacher. 
someone who knows their worth in one of these different interpretations. The next hadith from Imam Ali السلام, and perhaps we'll stop with this one. Imam Ali السلام, says, Al-alimu yanzuru biqalbihi wa khatirih wal-jahil yanzuru bi'aynihi wa nazirih. So the scholar is the one who sees through his heart and his mind and the the one who lacks knowledge is the one who sees through his eye and his material sight. Okay, so here there is definitely, we could definitely add a spiritual dimension to this. This is someone who has what we call basira, someone who is able to see the more spiritual aspect of everything in this world. That's basira. Okay? The other way to understand this, or in addition to this, and certainly does not exclude it, is that the imam is saying, this is someone who is able to see much more deeply into things. In general. Without necessarily specifying spiritually. Someone who has insight. Someone who is able to see beyond the superficialities and at face value of things. They understand how things connect in a very complex way. They see two layers, three layers, four layers to whatever they're looking at. And this becomes important when the Imam says, Al-Alim, if this is what the Imam is referring to, it means one, we as knowledge seekers have to move in that direction. And this definitely realigns with everything we've been talking about from the beginning that our religion does not accept knowledge that is superficial, getting through life in a very superficial way, at face value way, that's one. And two, you're learning from people, you want those people to have a much deeper insight in in life. People who are able to see things as they are, to see more than one layer, and to help you see in that way too. Don't accept things that are at face value. Okay, so this speaks to We were looking for the scholar or the teacher with their relationship with knowledge, the quality of their knowledge, the quality of their intellect. Okay, so we're looking for people who can see beyond the superficial. The next hadith would be, it's much longer, so I think uh, let's stop here, leave some time for discussion uh, questions. Inshallah, we'll continue next time we meet. وَصَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَى سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ الطَّيِّبِينَ الطَّاهِرِينَ